Hello, everyone. This is Untitled Sessions, Episode 3. This clip is generated using AI. This is not actually me. No, no, that was not me. Uh, this is me. And that was AI. Now, it wasn't perfect. Uh, I'll say I really didn't put too much effort into making that clip. I, I could have done it a little bit better if I tweaked the settings, but I wanted to start with that because I have been blown away this week by... Um, just this new AI that I, I discovered people are making clips with it. You know, most, most of it is, you know, celebrity impersonations and everything. And I mean, some of the, it can do any voice. So what you do is you feed it samples of whoever you want it to, you know, make a, an AI voice of, <clears throat> then you, you know, you give it a prompt and then you tweak a couple settings. And, uh, this is a free tool to use. And some people have made just incredible recreations of some people's voices uh and it's scary i mean i feel like we hear this a lot uh, nowadays with ai like oh it's so scary it's scary that we can create things that don't really exist you know fabricate evidence of people saying things or you know even uh making semi-convincing videos of, of people saying things but i mean I'm, I'm just really i'm just impressed i'm just like wow i mean i again not really the, the greatest clip maybe maybe i'll re-recorded me i'll do another, another one probably not but um i think everyone should be aware of the existence of something like this because i do think that you know it always starts with the younger people the people that are seasoned with the internet and everything um and then it moves on slowly but surely to older uh people older generations where people recognize that something exists and can do something and AI is like the ultimate testament to this, of how important it is to know what the capabilities of something <laughs> like are. Because if you don't know that this exists and somebody played for you a celebrity voice saying, you know, just about anything, I mean, you take like Donald Trump supporters, you know, they, they hang on every word he says. They could, they can get him. Of course, I've heard Trump voices. They're not all the way there. You know, people with distinctive ways of talking. It's, it's uh, you know, if you really, know how someone sounds it's pretty easy to distinguish that it's not that person but with someone like like me like i have a pretty straightforward way of talking i'm like kind of monotone-ish whatever i'm easy i would be you could you could do this whole podcast feed the ai a script and get it to say whatever so i do think that like um with social media it's going to be hard for people to be like truly tricked by things like this because they're aware of its existence but again, it, it, you know, the, the shot is not heard by everyone at the same time on, on things like this, because older generations, if a clip is presented to them and the person presenting it to them says, oh yeah, no, this is real. This is real and recorded. They don't really have the same, you know, uh, I, I think like younger people, especially people that kind of grew up on the internet, we have a, um, we have an innate cynicism. Uh, so it's like, oh, did they really say that? And then, you know, do a little digging. It's like, oh, no, oh, that's spoofed or, you know, fact checkers say that's not real. And that's for us. It's like, OK, that's good enough. You know, that was a suspicion and we've confirmed it like we know it's not real. Older people or people that are not as initiated to, to stuff like this, which is I feel like most people are not initiated to the powers of AI. Like people don't know about this. They know that it's a big it's a trending topic, but they don't, they don't know that it's like this good now because when you compare it to some of the stuff that was coming out before it's it's like night and day i mean people have been making like you know 
uh, fake, uh, like rap songs performed. Like I've heard ones by like Eminem and Jay-Z and whatever. And I've, they've, these ones have existed for years now. Like I would say like at least like four or five years ago, we would have convincing sounding stuff from, you know, fake artists, but that's, that's one thing. And this is like complete vocal synthesis with, with just intonation, just inflection, like a flow, a manner of speaking. There's even like, I mean, the AI that, that I use for this, um, I'm not, I only use it a couple of times just to, to try it out. So I don't really know the full suite of tools and they have, they have like pricing tiers and all, all these different things. But, um, I don't really think you can be like, okay, it's saying this part sarcastically, but you just sort of, you just give it, which is, I guess what's kind of incredible is that you just give it a series of sentences, you, you know, you just give it some stuff to say. And it's like, it, it forges sort of a, a way to talk based on the vocal samples that it's arranged of how it would think the person whose samples it's been fed would say that thing. So it's like, it's, and, and from what I understand, when you generate new clips, um, even using the same settings, it can, it can come out differently. It's the same, the same prompt, the same settings. It can come out differently. Like it reaches a different conclusion. So it's not like deterministic, which is, um, I could, and I could be completely wrong on that, but I, when I was testing it out and I was, I played with the clip that I, I, you know, I shared in the beginning of the episode, I, I, I got it, you know, sounding a few different ways. And I, I decided that sounded like, you know, closest, I felt like as I was going to get it, but yeah, I wanted to kick it off with that. Cause I was just like, I was like, Whoa, when, you know, I, I just, some of the clips I've heard, um, just, I don't know, incredible. And, you know, for me right now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a blockchain web three kind of guy or, well, I'm not a guy. I'm just, I like that technology. I believe that, that, um, trustless systems are very important. Decentralized computing is a very, uh, very important stride for us. But I, when you get exposed to a use case for a new technology like this, it's, it sort of turns your interest on its head. As far as tech goes, I'm just like, Man, because blockchain's been you know relevant for you know like 10, 10 plus years now, and I mean we don't really have any killer apps, <laughs> nothing that makes people go like, oh wow, I see the power of the blockchain now. You know, it's just like it's a bunch of kind of smaller use case pitches. Um, you know, there there are some very good, compelling cases for like Bitcoin as an international currency. You know, just like peer to peer, not having to go through banks. But I will say nowadays with <clears throat> how centralized the exchanges are becoming the way that, um, you know, people ramp money in and out, you know, from, from and to, to and from fiat. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really feel very like bankless anymore. Um, it feels like something that's going to be regulated very heavily, very soon, which is not really what it needs. What it needs is, is a killer app. It needs something where people say, Oh, I understand now like this, you know, like this is what the blockchain enables us to do that we weren't previously doing. And again, I, I, I'm not trying to discredit crypto web three at all. Cause again, I'm, I'm very interested in it, but I'm interested in it more conceptually, but I'm glad to see because there are, there are some great companies that are, you know, they're working towards it. I think, I think it's still in a period, a scrambling period where people don't really know what to make of the investment in it. Um, obviously with all the, the, the way the market has been with, with Bitcoin and everything, um, you know, we're seeing it's recovering this year, which is nice, but 
just something losing that much of its value is enough to scares a lot of institutional investment away, not just in the crypto itself, but in, in the companies that, you know, are the people that are trying to come up with these ideas and, and killer apps and give people something to do with the technology. So suffice to say, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Me, I would love to work in the industry because I, I would like to be one of those people. But, you know, I understand people's pessimism, especially I think when it stands next to another newer technology like, you know, like AI, like uh, well, just how we use deep learning and, and machine learning models to create AI. And just when it stands next to something like that and you can you can tangibly see the value in what it's created. I mean, these like, you know, vocal synthesis clips, these these deep fake videos. I mean, even things like I mean, there's there's different like um, types of applications of like machine learning, like like chat GPT and uh, like Snapchat face filters or Instagram face filters like that has the same like it's the same it's the same progression the underlying progression in technology that has enabled both those those things to exist because with like face filters it's oh you know we, we're able to map uh to like your face very quickly like we're able to because we have just a learned model that knows what a face looks like after you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people have used the filter um that's all feedback data that makes it better but yeah uh I, I kind of, I feel like I cut myself off a little bit, but I was saying with AI, as it comes to the older generations, you know, you can very easily, I mean, I mean, think about the, the, the pace at which some older people who aren't as acclimated to technology, think about the pace at which they're exposed to the things that people do with technology that put them in danger. I mean, it's, there's a reason that telemarketing scam calls are their their success comes pretty much entirely from probably people that are retired over over a certain age that don't they don't recognize like oh i'm handing over the keys for you to you know remotely control my computer or i'm handing over sensitive information to my icloud account or whatever you know people above a certain age range i just feel like they have this i think it's a combination of not being aware of, of the dangers that are out there, you know, not, not having any reason to be educated to what certain types of scams look like. And also just being, I, I said before, but I think, I think younger people are just inherently, uh, a, a little bit, um, suspicious of anything, any information that they're being told to accept. Um, I mean, older people, now we have, you know, you get the, like the anti-vax movement. A lot of older people are involved in that which comes from that innate paranoia and suspicion that things are not the way that they're being, you know, communicated um, as being. So I think I would say, I would say older people are actually getting a little bit more paranoid. Um, definitely a lot less trusting than probably they used to be, or they don't really just have like that sense of, of innocence of like sort of just there, there's like, there's disillusionment behind the way that they process what they're being told from the internet specifically. Um, even though it is funny, cause I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's even to call it like being disillusioned or being like suspicious of information. I actually don't know if that's even the best way to put it. Cause really it kind of plays more into the same thing that it's always been, which is a willingness to believe. So it's, it's, I think like older people, especially who are maybe lonely and like need a community, you know, maybe they don't have as many friends or just, I mean, I, not even older people. I feel like everybody who is kind of 
in search of a community is more susceptible to wanting to believe information. So they're more like, I wouldn't use the word gullible. I would just say like, it's easier to get them to believe something. Um, and the reason I don't say gullible is because like, is because I feel like gullibility has to do with, you know, someone is a grifter, someone is a scammer, and then somebody else is a target or a victim. You know, the, the victim is gullible for believing the scam, or maybe they're gullible and that causes them to believe the scammer or whatever. But in the case of like, I think there's a real fast spread of information that happens around like conspiracy circles because they all kind of trust each other to be like in on the truth that nobody else knows. And even if it's, it's not true, the things that they believe and like they, you know, something happens to them because of it, like they believe the wrong thing and it ends up harming them. Both the people who are spreading that information and the people that are, you know, receiving it are victims in a sense, because neither of them are trying to play each other really in that, in that situation, the, uh, the pundits, the people that are benefiting and, and, uh, are exploiting people's that, that, you know, willingness to believe them is the news companies that, uh, you know, they all have their own way of not necessarily disavowing things that they should be, uh, as a way to just kind of keep you going like mainstream, like news has died largely because people don't trust it as much. So their resort is to like, also lean in on the like, oh, you know, there's somebody else that's bigger and badder than us. And we don't trust them either. Does it like, there's gotta be someone else. There's gotta be, you know, uh, somebody that you band against. So it could be just like, we don't trust the government. We don't trust, you know, the, pre uh, the president, like we don't trust the political party they belong to, or just like, it's, it's all about setting one side against another. So I would say the people that are victimizing others are usually the media companies. Um, and individuals who go on social media and they spread hateful and hurtful information. Um, not really cause not because they care about what the effects are cause they don't. That's the thing is like, it's not about being careful because if you were careful and researched, you wouldn't have time to, you know, get people blindly following you because you'd be too busy, you know, actually making sure what you're saying is, is valid. So now, now we have like two sides of people, especially on the internet who spread information. It's the people who just, who just spread lies and mistruths just as fast as possible, as fast as they can imagine them, really, as fast as they can make fake imaginary connections between, you know, unconnected information. Those people who do that, who are, you know, they're grifting people, they're exploiting people's willingness to believe in them. And then the other people that are literally having to just disavow everything that those people are saying. So like the, the, the liars and the fact checkers, essentially, that's what it's become. Um, actually having people who they just like have an informed opinion about something, those people I feel like get pushed to the side now. Nobody really wants to hear from them. I think, I think people are under the impression that everybody has an agenda now. So even if you appear to be like a, like an expert in your field, if somebody thinks that you're trying to push an agenda with the information that you're conveying, then whatever you know, it doesn't matter because it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, and there are very, very few people who I feel like have just unconditional trust from, uh, you know, like a wide base of people. So, yeah, uh, I think, wow, I went totally off the rails because my original point was just literally going to be like 
older people or more susceptible people, they'll get scammed by things by a, like with AI, people use stuff like this to impersonate people, for example, make fake information more believable, um, you know, play a part I, either in like the public circus of, of, you know, social, <laughs> social media, just like spreading beliefs and everything. Um, kind of what I was just talking about or the more private circus, which is literally like scamming people out of, out of their assets and whatever other nefarious things they intend to do. So I, um, and that sounds very pessimistic. Again, I'm in awe of this shit. Like I'm like, how on earth does someone make something like this? And it is to the level where I'm just like, you know, I mean, this is, look, it's the culmination of years and years and years of applied learning. But I, I don't think we, that we've seen like such a breakthrough, like series of consumer facing products the way we have in the past year with like chat GPT, this thing that I was talking about. Um, again, just like the more, like the things that you don't even think of as being uh, influenced or, or like molded by AI or machine learning, but are like face filters. People love using filters. Um, th these are just things that like have just come out in force and have just, <laughs> the quality of them has just skyrocketed and it is kind of crazy. Um, because for me, it makes me think of like, if this is what we have consumer facing all of a sudden, what do you, what do you think that like large companies with internal tools and like maybe, uh, like certain, uh, entities that would benefit from like manufacturing videos or audio or like whatever, any sort of information, what do you think they've been having access to for some time? I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that like chat GPT was like not something that was, you know, such a powerful tool can't just be like kept a lid on until it's consumer facing. That doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about recently. Just what private iterations have existed of the things that we're now being aware of just exist as, as far as powerful AI and machine learning and just, yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy. Um, but yeah, that's AI, and that's also the first uh, twenty or so minutes of the podcast. Um, oh, 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 let me guess. Editor, editor is gonna yell at me because oh, I called out a time code. I am trying to help. Whatever, the editor, you are not even doing your job. I listen. I listened to the last episode. I heard you. You did not edit out what I said, which, by the way, I apologize for. So let's move past it. Um, but you, you should edit it out and you didn't. So we'll, you, we'll talk about that. No, 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 no. But yeah, I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to, I don't want to get, you know, agitated. Um, let's see positive things. What else is going on? Uh, so I was talking about how HBO, I think this is, is this the third episode that I've talked about HBO? It is. This is the, I've, talked about HBO every single episode so far. So let's just keep it going. HBO, The Last of Us, a friend told me to watch it. I was like, no, because I don't watch things based on video games. Uh, I think any movie or TV show based on a video game has a 99% chance of being, you know, utter, utter dog wash. So I did not want to watch it, but I heard good things. So I'm like, okay, well, it seemed like the kind of good things that people the kind of praise people award to actually good things, not just like, oh, I recognize this IP and I like that it doesn't, you know, suck entirely. Like I'm good enough with that. Um, you know, the way people will do with like 
that League of Legends show. Was, that was an okay show. I, I well, I only watched the first three episodes, and I got kind of lost as soon as they got to the um the city, and they're focusing on the, the studies that they were doing. I liked the first three. I was like, oh, okay, this is going somewhere. And then, but I don't even play League of Legends, so I, I you know, I didn't have any connection to the characters. It was well animated, but then again, I was like, story wise, writing wise, eh, not really into it. No, I don't really, you know, I don't care about what's going on here. But I watched The Last of Us, and I do care. All right. I think they've done a good job. So I'm recording this. It is, I probably should have called this out. It is Wednesday. It is Thursday. February 2nd, 2023. Time is 7.46 p.m. my time. And I watched episode three right after it aired. I caught up. I watched one and two because that was was the point, which I hadn't seen it yet. Um, So I was excited to watch three because it seemed like it was getting good. And I... Okay, so I should preface this, right? Preface, preface, who cares? Um, I should whatever this by saying that The Last of Us is probably my favorite single player game ever. My favorite game ever is Warcraft 3. My favorite single player game, I'm going to give it to The Last of Us. Just, I I think story-driven games are great, but the gameplay is also just so tight. It's, you know, it's good survival horror. It's really, you know, it's tense. It's good at giving you limited research. It's a good, it's a good ass game. All right. That's the point. Good ass game. One of my favorites ever. So I went into it like, okay, they're probably going to adapt the story from the game. And you know, that'll be great. Cause I saw that Neil Druckmann, who I think was, I think he's the lead, he's either the lead writer or he's a studio head at Naughty Dog. I don't remember. Naughty Dog makes the game. Um, but Neil Druckmann's an important figure and he what he's on the credits of the show. So I was like, all right, so it's probably gonna be, you know, pretty, pretty closely. And it was the first two episodes. Um, they changed a little bit at the end of episode two. I'm not going to spoil it. It's an ongoing show, right? I don't want to spoil it. Um, you should watch it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But yeah, at the end of episode two, they departed a little bit. Uh, it wasn't a major departure, but it was a little bit of a departure. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're, you know, they're not sticking to the script exactly. That's, that's interesting. And then episode three, I was expecting to take it a certain place. They were like, nah, nah, we're going to take it somewhere completely different in uh, pretty much every imaginable way. So uh, again, I'm going to try to talk about this without spoiling anything. But um, no, I I was really into that episode uh, in particular because I could see that they were capable of writing a story on their own, which was exciting. Because, you know, this time I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to get a, we're going to get a video game ad- adaptation of a game I like. I like the story, but, you know, I played it. I know how it ends. I know it could. And now, I don't know, you know, maybe it'll end the same way. Maybe it won't. I mean, there's so much room for interpretation and, and, and just twisting that story to go literally whatever way they, they want. So I'm excited to see where they take it. But yeah, I was, I was thinking about, um, and for those of you who have watched episode three, you're probably going to, you probably think I, I want to talk about like the nature of uh, the relationship between two characters and that. I don't, not at all. Uh, I don't care. Love story is a love story. It is what it is. But I was interested in the dynamic between the characters because it was interesting to see. So you have the one character, um, the character's names are Bill and Frank. That's not, that's not a spoiler. Okay. Bill and Frank, you have the two characters. and. Um, one of them is just, he's a survivalist and he's very, um, I guess you would say pragmatic. Pretty much everything he does is for the purpose of survival. 
you know, it's, it's not about enjoying life because as far as his mind, what goes is he's living amidst a zombie apocalypse. There's no point in like trying to live a normal life and like trying to have fun or have friends or like do anything that really makes life worth living so long as he gets to live. And then you have the other character, uh, Frank, who from the moment you meet Frank, he's this guy who, you know, he's interested in music. He's like very into the quality of the cooking. Like compared to Bill, he's someone who I feel like still has that lust for life. You know, Bill, he still cooks good meals. He doesn't, you know, he not, he's not eating bugs or slop or whatever. So, he, you know, clearly there's a care that he still wants to exhibit that, you know, it's still, you just get the vibe that nothing really matters to him beyond that survival. But it was definitely, I, I, the part of the episode which really grabbed me uh, and made me be like, okay, this is, this is good. This is good. I like the way that this is written. And I'm sorry, I'm really, I'm not trying to like spoil the points of the episode. I feel like I might have a little bit already, but you know, I want to talk about it. So if you haven't seen it, go, go fucking see it. Go put it on the TV. What's wrong with you? I'm telling you to see it. Give you two seconds. Okay. Are you back? You watched it? You're done? Great. Okay. So that one scene where um, they're arguing because Frank wants to mow the lawn and Bill is like, no, we're not mowing the lawn. Like we need to conserve gas. Uh, that was like the perfect, I think that was a perfect, a perfect example of, of what was different between the two of them, which is Frank didn't want to just live. He wanted to live a life worth living, even if that meant shortening his life expectancy in some, you know, roundabout way by going through resources. Like it's better to do that than to just live biding your time until you're, you're dead, you're done. I, I don't know. I thought it was powerful. And I was kind of thinking like, I feel like everybody has a little bit of these like two characters in them. It's just like the distribution is different. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are just, you know, they work until they die. And like, you know, we have a lot of like grind hustle culture right now yeah, on social media. It's the dumbest, it's the dumbest type of content. It's these people who are like, Oh, bro, you want to make, you know, six fit, you know, it's like emoji subtitles all over the place, you know, just like sound effects, bro. You want to make money. You want to make six figures a year. Just like, so two, two assholes talking on a, on a podcast, um, you know, oh, it's a cha-ching, like be a real estate agent, bro. Oh, bro, start your own business. You know, you got to go into business for yourself. You know, you can't trust anyone. It's like, I don't, I don't think it's like inherently the advice that's annoying. It's, it's the people that it comes from, which are, when you look into them, they're all trying to sell you on some sort of like lifestyle improvement, like package. It's the same thing on LinkedIn. You, you see all these like weird, phony, uh, motivational posts or like things from like managers recognizing employees It'd be like, just these stories that just inherently sound fake that people post that are like supposed to be like, there's a moral at the end of the story of like, Oh, uh, just because the blah, blah, blah doesn't mean blah, 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 blah. Just every single story is like this. And they're all posted by these like recruiters that, that the story, like basically they're just doing this like creative writing because they're just trying to get impressions so that they get, they get connected with potential clients. It's just, it's, it's weird. I don't know. It's just a weird, like, I guess they're doing what they have to do, but I just, I don't feel like that's 
the way to go about it. I don't know. I just, I have a beef. I have a, I have, a, I have just like a general suspicion about people like that. It just comes off as fake. You know, I, I just don't appreciate it. But I guess if it's pragmatic, if it gets them to where they need to be, then okay, I guess. But yeah, I, um, I was saying that there are people who just, all they talk about is work. All they talk about is how much money they can make, you know, what the potential to make money looks like. And there are people who, there are certain careers that, that, is, that is literally the whole thing because you know that with your career, with your, the thing that you're doing, you're not really making the world a better place. More so you're just kind of like redistributing wealth, like traders, for example, you know, people that work on Wall Street. I don't think any of those people have to delude themselves into thinking they're making the world a better place in any sense. They are getting paid a lot of money to give a lot of people who already have a lot of money more money. But uh, yeah, those people, I think they need to just be like so invested in this idea of like just pragmatism of like, I'm working for a living and I just, there's no limit to how much I should work and how much I should be making. And like, it's the only goal. It's the only tangible thing that they can rely on is, oh, I, I can just make more money. I just need to make more money. But it's, you know, it's empty. Um, and I feel like people like Bill, even before the apocalypse, he had kind of an empty life. His life was sort of like, I mean, I can't, you know, they don't really provide you so much exposition on him besides just like, he's sort of like a bunker prepper type, but it just, it, to me, I get the, I get the vibe of like his sort of purpose is survival. And then you have Frank who's like, no, like, let's literally stop and smell the roses. Like there's more to life than this. And, um, I just think everybody has some bill in them. They have some Frank in them. And it was just interesting to see the way that those, those two characters kind of played uh, off each other in the show. And, um, yeah, I'll talk. Cause again, oh man, I just like, I don't want to spoil the show, but it's like, I can't really arrive at my point. I'm like struggling. Cause I can't arrive at my point unless I spoil the show. You know what? Next week, Maybe we'll provide an update by next week. If you haven't watched it, you're not going to, you're never going to watch it. So screw it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to full blown spoil it. So we'll move off next week. If I can remember, I'll provide an update. I'll speak more fully about what I meant by all this, but I feel like I made some kind of a point. Uh, oh, speaking of updates, plant update. So our, our second plant update, if you'll remember last time I said that I decided I'm not going to water the plant anymore. I'm just going to let it kind of wither. Uh, I have this plant that's sort of been like dying very slowly over a pretty long period of time. It's an indoor plant. Um, and I just decided, you know, I'm just going to let it die. But I will update you on what is the rate of death. Okay. So today, the plant is really withered. It's not, it's not very greenish. Um, you know, a couple leaves have got, have, uh, not since the last time, but a couple leaves I need to, <laughs> I need to clip off because they're, shriveled and, and yellow and such but um the plant is really like it's so droopy it's basically facing the floor and today i i looked at it and i was like okay i either need to go back to taking care of this or i need to throw it out because this is straight up depressing i mean I'm, I'm i'm telling you like the plant is is like looking at the ground being like when can i be a part of this again when can i be decompose in our ecosystem and 
be done with this indoor life. I, I, I think that's my monologue for the plant because it really looks very sad. So I caved today and I watered it. Okay. So it's not, it's not hard to keep alive, but I'm going to keep watering it. I'm still going to give you plant updates, which is next week has the plant recovered, right? I mean, if it was, if it was so linear as to, you know, just be like, oh, I'm just going to let it die. That wouldn't have been that interesting. Right. So next week you'll find out, is it going to recover from all of a sudden me taking care of it? Let's see. You don't know. I don't know. I'm not a botanist. I don't know. I don't know anything really. I'm nothing. I'm no one. I do have a podcast. I do know that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy with a podcast. I suppose that's who I am right now in this very second. Yes. So what else is going on? Um, oh yeah. Audio recording. Uh, I still got my setup and it's ready, but I don't know. I, uh, I was researching actually some input methods today of, um, or some, some methods of processing the input signal from my microphone. And I found that the drivers that I was using for my mic are not really the best that they can be. Um, so I'm instead I'm opting before I was doing, uh, I think it was MME input. Now I'm doing ASIO. Uh, the difference is that ASIO is like a more native driver. It's, I, I think it's the cleanest the sound can possibly be. It's meant to be for like single application use. So for say recording a podcast, but you would use something like MME or the other mode and another mode on windows is WDM. You would use those for multi, uh, if you have multiple applications. So, you know, you're listening to music, you're gaming, whatever, um, that you would use those modes. And those modes are by default what gets used, um, by most services. But yeah, I switched to ASIO and I think it sounds better. I actually noticed some, some damage on the original recording for the last episode I wasn't super happy with because I garbage in garbage out. So if there's crackling on the original recording, like I can do a little bit to tamper with that and, and, you know, dampen it, but it's not really what I want to do. I want the original recording to be as good as it can possibly be. So I am still recording from my desk. I'm not using the, uh, the shield. I'm not using the studio. So it might still be a, a little echoey. The studio, the studio is what I'm calling my upstairs. Um, a mic stand and a laptop, but who knows once we, once we use the, uh, we'll just call it the studio. Once we use the studio to celebrate, I'll, uh, I'll just do an episode, just reading bedtime stories. That can be the whole episode. I'll just read bedtime stories off my phone. That'd be good. Yes. Honestly, that's maybe that's what the podcast should be instead. We just read bedtime stories. I feel like that could, that could work. That could be a thing. Think about that. I'm gonna put that in the uh, the ideas column that I definitely have for this podcast. Little notepad on my phone. So yeah, what's going on? Job search. I'm uh, just exploring as many avenues as I can. I actually I did get a strategy. I have I have a new strategy that I've been I've been uh, working with. Which maybe this will help someone else if you're listening and you're also, uh, in the job search, something that I've been doing that is honestly, I think helped my output, my productivity with this stuff is, um, you know, I, I use a, um, you call it like a job board. It's basically like a list, like think almost like Trello where you have lists and you can order, uh, cards in like stages. It's like that, but for jobs. So it's like, you know, wish list applied, uh, interviewing, you know, offer or whatever. So and it's um the 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 website to be partic- to be exact is um called hunter.com. So 
been using Hunter and keeping track of the jobs where I want to apply and then I apply to them and I, you know, move them forward and I fill in the information I need to and whatever. But something that I've been doing recently, which I hadn't been doing before, but I'm, I'm doing now, and this has, I think, been helping me is separating the stages of searching for jobs to apply for and actually applying for them. So before, you know, I do a search, say like a keyword search, be like software engineer and, you know, da, da, da. And then anyone that looked like something I should be applying for, I would apply for it right then and there. And then I would move on to the next one. But now, so what I've done is I've separated the process. So I'll do my search, find a bunch of, you know, uh, ones that want to apply for, put them on the wish list. And then when I feel like, okay, I'm, you know, let's move on to the second part. I'll go apply for them one, one after another. And this is just, I feel like this is good because it's sort of, it gets me into a rhythm of doing a certain thing, which, you know, again, it's like looking for jobs, wishlisting, and then applying because applying is, it's very different than actually searching for the job. You know, it's good because it just it puts you in a certain mode. You just can block out time to do a certain task. It's helped me a lot, I think, with my productivity and, and just my ability to stomach mass applying to stuff. So it's what's been working for me, I guess. Uh, maybe it'll work for you. So wish list first, apply second, separate those two out. But yeah, I'm, uh, you know, so I'm still holding out, but what else is going on? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm on a very, I'm trying to schedule things. So I'm trying to tell myself, okay, you know, spend like four hours a day on the job search and then, you know, an hour lead coding and then sort of whatever else is kind of up to you. But I will say that like, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been an independent contractor for some time. I've been making my own schedule and, and living that kind of life for so long now that I, to be really regimented is it's honestly very it's unfamiliar to me you know i just have i have like certain boundaries so i'm like yeah like i say like oh i i want to get eight hours of sleep a night like that's my that's my threshold i'm like okay to be well rested i should get eight hours of sleep some people will tell you you only need six i'm sure you only need six but i like to feel like well rested throughout the day you know what i mean and i feel like i don't i don't like i, I don't like to be like you know, you know, say you, you work a nine to five, whatever, like at five or six, I feel like tired, like, oh, I can take a nap. I don't like to feel that way. And when I, I get less than eight hours, that's kind of how I feel. It's like, as I, I get to a certain point in the day, you know, I just get tired earlier, but I know I'm not going to sleep until like later. So I don't want to go through the rest of my day tired. So I like to be, I like to be at a hundred percent. So eight hours is my, that's my, my, uh, my threshold. And, um, you know, sometimes I get a little more than that. Just again, just depends on what's going on in the day. I don't want to, I think eight hours is, you know, should be well enough, but it happens. Uh, it happens when you're not on like strict, strict schedule of where you need to be in the morning. And, but I have beats in my day that I like to hit. You know what I mean? Like I have things that I know I want to do on a daily basis, but since there's not as much regiment or there's really no regiment, um, but there are things that I want to do. There are tasks that are occurring, but since it's not um, structured in that way, where there's like a, a hard and fast time constraint behind doing certain things, I definitely have a lot of ambiguity to how I approach getting things done. 
And I know that I have days where I'm very productive and then I have days where I'm very not. And for a long time in my life, even before like I was a contractor and you know, made my own hours, I had struggled with just stability, um, finding a routine, you know, finding that structure. I really have always done best when it's imposed by outside forces. So, you know, a job where you are, say, expected to have a meeting in the morning, like every day. You got to be awake. You got to be present for that meeting. Like that's a regiment that I can, I, it's imposed on me. So I, I, it does me well to stick to it. And that helps regiment the other parts of my life as well. And I've used the word regiment uh, about 20 times in the past five minutes. So I think I'm going to retire that word, but it's good for me to have that structure I've noticed. And um, I was thinking earlier today about, or not even today, I was thinking earlier this week about what it is about structure that aids productivity. And I sort of got to feeling like um, I was thinking about just like risk reward and like opportunity cost. And I think that if you know that there's not really an opportunity cost, if you don't know what opportunity cost is, it's basically, I mean, it is kind of how it sounds, but it's just saying like, oh, if you do this, then you won't be able to do that. Like it's like a decision matrix basically. So like the considerations of, of behind making a decision. Um, uh, I remember there's uh, several interviews like this because he repeats himself and I've listened to several interviews by him and he repeats himself verbatim. Like he has scripts that he reads from when he does like normal interviews. It's weird. Jeff Bezos, he talks about a regret minimization framework. So he has a framework that he lives by. I don't even remember what it like even... It's just his like way of crafting out his perfect ideal life by <laughs> making as little regrets as possible. So I don't have something insane like that, um, you know, guiding my my life. But I do think pretty heavily about, you know, what is the cost of doing this versus this in, in a situation where or, or, you know, like on a day where I don't really have a schedule. So it's kind of up to me to block in how I want to spend my time you know, completely freely. So I could spend, you know, three hours doing one thing, or I could spend one hour doing another thing, another hour doing another thing, maybe spend another hour not doing anything at all. You know, like it's entirely based on what I think, what I prioritize. So if I am not bound to the restriction of time, if I don't say like I have a meeting scheduled for this time or I have an appointment or something like something in my day that holds me to a time, it is very easy to feel like it's, it's, it's not even about doing nothing. It's about doing things that aren't really the best use of your time that aren't, that aren't like, shouldn't be the highest priority, just sort of things that you do because you have time to do them. I think when you leave yourself time like that, you sort of put yourself in a position where like you have too much control over your own decision-making. So like, if I know that I have, you know, time to do whatever I want, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll clean the house. Right. Like I'll vacuum, but it's like in the back of my head, I'm like, but you know, I know that this time could be better used, you know, something, something job search, whatever. But it's like, there's nothing breathing down my neck to do it. It's, you know, it's an overarching will to find a job like that's breathing down my neck, but it's not an immediate consequence if I choose not to do it. Right. So, and it feels also, it feels more gratifying in the short term to clean up, to clean the house than to apply for jobs. Cause I'm not going to get a job immediately after applying, but I, you know, the house is going to be clean. So 
I've, I've sort of come to realize this, which is like, I, you can't let like whatever's most immediately gratifying be how you make decisions. Because if you do that, you kind of put your back to the wall in the way of you only do things when they're immediately necessary. Um, and then you do everything else when it's convenient. And that's not really a way it just, it just doesn't without that sort of imposed sense of urgency that having a schedule, having a regiment creates in your life. There's for me, like, this is what I'm talking about, like what I've struggled with, but I feel like a lot of people struggle with this. There's not really that immediate incentive to do things that pose like a longer term benefit. So I've been trying to like, you know, create arbitrary it's, but you know, you know, it's also difficult It's because, so I try to create like arbitrary things like, like, um, like, oh, I have to, you know, I actually, so I did this, I did this, I did this successfully when I was in school, I created a schedule for myself outside of, and a lot of people do this, but it was a little out of the norm for me. Cause like, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't super like this, I wasn't super organized, but I managed to create a, I use my calendar and I would schedule in like blocks of time to, to study and to, you know, eat and, and do things. And like in sticking to the schedule, I found that I was more successful. And I feel like, honestly, I was happier because I didn't feel like that, that sense of, um, well, it was sort of two things. It was one thing is that I didn't feel like I had so much amb- ambiguity of how I could spend my time. You know, it's like decision paralysis, right? There's so many choices you end up making none. I avoid that because there is a clear cut choice. It is what I, I designated that I should be working on. And the second thing is that I had a record of events that say like, I invested time in this thing because, you know, memory is a frail, it's a fragile thing. And we can trick ourselves. We can convince ourselves that something happened when it really didn't. So for example, I might have a pretty unproductive day, but then the next day I might convince myself, oh no, I, you know, I work pretty hard. You know, I, I, maybe I work like two, you know, four or five hours, but like in reality, maybe you only did, you know, two, three because you weren't keeping track. You had no regimen. You had nothing keeping you on it. So it, it, for me, I've always found that it's, it's best to set even, I don't even know if arbitrary is the right word because it's not really, it's not random to have like scheduled blocks of, of doing things. But I guess, I guess the arbitrary nature of it would be the consequence of not doing it at that time. Like if I, if I say from, you know, 12 to two, I'm going to be filling out applications. There's nothing that's stopping me from instead being like, oh no, actually I'll do it at two to four because, you know, something came up. But by saying I'm going to do it from 12 to two, I've eliminated the ambiguity of like, will I actually get this done today or at any point? Um, so yeah, scheduling, even arbitrary type scheduling is, has been really, it's been effective for me in the past. I'm trying to get better about it right now. Um, I'm just trying not to have like a fluid idea of what it means to have a good day, you know? I, Cause I don't think a good day should be like a relative measure. Like, oh, I worked harder than I did the day before. That means it's a good day. Because by that, I mean, by that, you can basically say that any day you could have the worst day of your life and then the next day is better. And then, oh, well, it was a good day relative to, it's like, no, both those days should be considered bad baseline 
or, or relative to like a baseline of, of what a good day should be or what a productive day should be. And that's why you need those just like quantifiable metrics. Like I worked X amount of hours on something, knowing that you stuck to a schedule, knowing that you, you know, checked off things on a list. Um, I just, I think it's important to create those metrics of success and stick to them. Gratification is also a big part of it, which is like, there's not as much gratification behind doing something that's unscheduled. Like you might think, oh, uh, you know, I, I did X thing when I, I didn't have to, like it wasn't like immediately urgent. So that makes it a good thing. But I, I think I was kind of saying this before about like the whole cleaning the house thing is that, is it really what you should have been doing though? Like you did something, you produced something, but was it the best use of your time or was it just sort of a, a more productive way to procrastinate something that maybe should be more important, but isn't as immediately gratifying for you? So yeah, just having metrics, having tangible things that you can point to and be like, okay, this is my, this is my routine. This is like what I stick to. This is what's important to me. Yeah. So that's my life coach uh, advice. So if you want to subscribe to my, uh, I got seminars going on. We're selling packages. Um, I got shirts to say, uh, get money, do dope shit. If you want to get money, do dope shit shirt. Um, no proceeds go to, go to charity. None of them. I pocket all proceeds and I use that money to get doper and, uh, and, and improve my level of swag. So uh, get money and do dope shit. It'll be on Redbubble uh, later today. All right. So, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Man, woman, whoever, anyone listening. Um, that's what's been going on with me. We are approaching the uh, hour mark in my real-time experience. We're approaching the hour mark. No. I was thinking going forward I would like to, you know, not bypass an hour too much because I feel like even if I feel like I could go all day on a podcast, I would rather, you know, save some topics for later. I said, I think it was episode one. I said, I was like, if I ever start putting together uh, topics, then the podcast is over. Well, maybe the podcast is over, but I, I did write a couple little things that I was like, you know, I could get into this and, but really it's just more like, oh, I've been thinking about this stuff. It's not like here, here today in the news, you guys watching the news, like, no. That's it. That's, that's when I got to call it and reduce myself to a um, tweeting instead. Start a Twitter, right? But one day at a time, you know, I mean, I was, I was being a little pessimistic, but honestly, if you had a better day today than you did yesterday, then I mean, pat yourself on the back. So it's a better day. Maybe it's not a baseline good day, but it's a better day. And you should recognize that. And, um, I've, I feel I've always been, I've, I'm just habitually, um, impatient and I like immediate gratification and I like, I like working quickly. I like working spontaneously. I love being spontaneous. I really hate making plans. I pretty much never, ever make plans. Uh, in fact, the only time I ever made a long-term plan, like, like beyond the scope of, of two months was when I bought tickets to Coachella 2020 because Frank Ocean was headlining and I really wanted to see him. Uh, and then that was the first Coachella in a history, I think, or a relative history that had ever been canceled because of COVID. 
and I still have the, I have like the, you know, they, they, they mail you like your tickets and like a booklet, um, you know, navigation for the thing. I, I have, I have the thing. It's like, it's like a relic, a relic of a, a music festival that never happened. And I was so excited too. My friend and I, we were going to go, we both got tickets. It was going to be a big deal. Um, and just nothing. And I haven't been to a music festival ever in my life, but Frank Ocean is headlining the next Coachella and I might, mm, no, probably not. Not, well, first of all, I got to get a job. That's what I got to do. I don't, I don't want to be spending more money than I should on Coachella. That is not my priority. So probably not in the cards. Um, you know, maybe fortune will favor me one day and, and he'll go on tour, but I'm not, I wouldn't put money on that. But anyway, I'm impatient. I don't like to make plans. And for me, I think it's something that also kind of bleeds into my expectations for myself. Um, I sort of get frustrated when I don't immediately feel like I'm good at something. Like I get introduced to something and I feel like I just, I'm struggling to grasp it, especially if it's something where I'm working amongst other people. Like there's, you know, a point of comparison. I, I get very hard on myself. I get very like, just get to feeling like I must be stupid to not understand something. And, um, I've tried to be better about that on myself and more cognizant of sort of like that self-loathing behavior, because first of all, it's, it, it's unrealistic to expect that you're just like going to be inherently good. Cause it's not even like, I don't have a precedence to, to go off of like, I think that I'm a little, I think I'm quick to get things, but at the same time, I'm not like someone who just like, oh, 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 he's mastered it so quickly. Like he's just, it makes intrinsic sense to him. He connected the dots. He's like, and now he's like better than everyone else. I'm not like that. Like I have to, you know, I'm not like, I'm not a person that doesn't need to work for being good at something or being successful or whatever I need to work. But I, I feel pretty insecure at times about, because what I was trying to say before is that it goes both ways of like, if you start to believe that you're going to be inherently good at something and you become impatient with yourself, if, if it, you know, doesn't pan out that way about something, then you either get an inflated version of your own ability where you believe that you're in touch, you know, you're not, you're untouchable. You're, you get a, uh, an ego, um, or you develop a really low self-confidence about yourself because when you don't meet your own expectations, that comes crashing down on you of, of just feelings of like imposter syndrome and like, I'm not what people say I am. And, and like, I'm not how I think I am. It's, it's a manic thing is what it is. If, if you live in that state of having just super high expectations of yourself all the time, it's manic. You're either, you know, up in the clouds or you're down the gutter. Um, and I've struggled with that sort of that manic, uh, kind of thing. And I don't think it's like presented itself as like something where I, I like, I like visibly am like, oh, I'm better than other people or, or, or that I think that, you know what I mean? But it's this, um, almost like I, I self-impose this, this, um, this image that I want people to have of me, that I have everything like under control and that like, I'm very capable and like, I should be confident in how capable I am. So, cause there's a fine line in being confident, being cocky. Right. But for me, like, I just, I, I feel like sometimes I want people to, 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 
to trust me, to trust in me that I, I can like do whatever I set my, my mind to, or I can do whatever I tell them that I'm capable of doing. Um, and so it's, it's sort of, it's, it becomes this insecurity if, if I get faced with something where I'm like, oh, I, I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around this. Like I'm not, I'm not able to get to where I think I need to be on this because it, I have not put in the time. And that's like, so that, what I just said, like, because I've not put in the time, that's the kind of thing that I need to hear myself say, because that's like a realistic reason rather than saying, because I'm not smart enough, because I'm not talented, because I'm, I'm, oh, I'm too old to learn new things. I was actually having a conversation with someone, um, the other day where we we were just talking about like, uh, I, I brought it up. I was like, I was kind of, I was like half joking, but I'm like, God, I feel like such an idiot compared to the people who write like, um, they write like compilers, custom compilers that are people who do like decompilation, open source, like gaming projects, for example, I follow like a YouTube channel where this guy, he talks about, um, mostly stuff that happens with like gaming emulation. And I'm not even connected to that scene, but listening to him talk about it is, is very fascinating and he's very knowledgeable. So I really like his, his, um, YouTube show. So I watch it, but so much of it goes over my head. Because it's all like, you know, because he'll, he'll talk about things like, oh, how they, you know, how uh, just a freelance uh, person just open source ported this like game to this other system that it shouldn't have even been able to run on because of memory restrictions. Um, but they're so smart and cunning. They just make it work. And he, he presents the information in such, such an objective, like, like not an embellished way at all, like not even a storytelling type way where it's like such a smart person that did the impossible. He just like, he's like, he didn't, he's Australian. He's like, he did an impressive fate. He bought the, like, he just like very, even that there was more excitable than he would be. Cause he wouldn't even, he, he wouldn't even get that, that crazy. Um, but no, but I'll watch these videos and, um, you know, I, I just feel like I'm like, man, these people are so smart, these individuals. And a lot of them, a lot of people that like engage in this stuff, they either started very young, like they, they, you know, they're people that like started programming when they were like 14, sometimes some of them younger, um, or they made like a very major innovation in like whatever they're working on, which is why they're known at a young age. So like, for example, not video game emulation, but like uh, Vitalik But Buterin, uh, I think that's how you say his last name. He's the founder of Ethereum. He created the Ethereum blockchain and really re revolutionized smart, you know, he created the smart contract protocol, essentially the medium. Um, I think he was either 20 or 19. And when I was 19, 20, I was, you know, when I was 19, I switched my major for, from computer science because I didn't feel like I comprehended it. Right. So when I, when I hear about people like that, I get this, just this intrinsic, I mean, I think it's, it's a very human thing, like to get some sort of, um, just feeling down on yourself about the things that you've accomplished and, and where you've taken your life when you hear about people who have accomplished things much earlier. But something I try to work on with myself that I, so I was having a conversation with my friend about this where I was like, oh, I feel so dumb compared to these guys. I mean, they're so like, look, look how smart this, look at what this person did. And like, I just sort of have, I construct like this, it's like, uh, sort of deity type image of these like programmers that have these crazy skills as being just like born this way or like, they're just so inherently smart. You know, they, they, it wasn't even a path for them. It wasn't even a, pr a progression. It was just like, 
they got to where they got to be because it was destined for them because that's who they were and that's who they are. And that's not me because I'm 27 and I, you know, I've done some things that I consider to be impressive that I consider to be worthwhile projects, but nothing groundbreaking, nothing earth shattering. And right now, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm putting in applications left and right for an entry level software engineer position. So when your idols, the people that you idolize who have made great strides in computer science, made those strides, you know, <laughs> 10 years before the age that you currently are, and you're just trying to get an entry level position, obviously there's, there's some room to feel kind of defeated. And that's why, you know, it's, it's not, if you're that kind of person, if you're like me, it's really not productive to compare yourself to anyone because you don't know, you don't see the full picture. You don't understand how they got to be who they are. There are some people that are naturally gifted, naturally smart, but I don't think that there's really a substitute for time and experience, but you have to have the willingness to learn. And so this is something else I was, I was sort of just kind of meditating on a bit, which was our capacity to learn as we get older and not just, I actually don't mean as far as age goes. Um, as I understand, like it is easier to make certain connections in your brain just as it's developing, you know, you're younger, that is the best time to do things like learn languages and so on and so forth, but not necessarily in biological age. I was thinking about like, as far as your typical, um, the stages of life go for someone where you become an adult and I feel like your life is now, it's on a timer. I mean, everybody's life is on a timer. We're all going to die eventually. But I feel like when you become an adult, there's a certain list of expectations that most people have of you, which look, you're free to defy these expectations, but let's not act like they don't exist. It's, you know, go get a house, go get married, go have children, work till you're retired, then die. Right. Those are the big ones. Now, it's, I mean, there are some biological reasons like you would want to have children when you're, you know, younger as opposed to older, um, that sort of thing. But I, I do think that when there exists that pressure to sort of go through those stages, every one of those stages, I mean, having a house would be nice, but you know, uh, like marriage or, or just having a partner, um, and then kids, I mean, kids are the apex of what it means to just forfeit your time and your kind of not, I, I hate to sound, I mean, look, I don't want to sound like pessimistic and I also don't want to, you know, keep talking back and forth with myself. So maybe I should just choose a lane here. But I do think when you have kids, you're kind of forfeiting your life to the next generation. That's what it's about. Or in my opinion, that's what being a parent should be. And I think that that, that makes sense because at that stage, you're, you need stability. You should have a stable job. You should feel secure in your position. Like it's best to have worked at some place for some time to have developed, you know, skills that are marketable. If for whatever reason you do need to go somewhere else, um, you know, not be renting, be paying off a mortgage, like all these things that lend itself towards a lifestyle of stability, which improves the environment that your kid can grow up in, which is important because me, I would feel selfish if I was still going about my life the way I am now where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to change careers. Like I'm going to learn this whole new skill set and like, see how that goes. I'm going to burn through my savings for a year. And, you know, just like, that's not going to fly if I'm married and I have children. That's, it's not going to fly. 
And it's not just because like, oh, like I'm not, I don't want to be in that position of instability. It's like me, I, I just don't even, I wouldn't want to subject the people I'm, I'm responsible for caring for to that instability. I, I wouldn't want to feel like I'm gambling on, because it's not my future anymore. It's the future of me and the people that depend on me. So something that has contributed, I think, to this like growing uh, anxiety I have about myself, my own ability to, you know, grow and get better is like, just knowing that like I'm 27 and I'm trying to get an entry level, I'm, you know, competing with newly grads for the same job, people that essentially have a six year head start on me. And when is that the timer that I talked about those stages of life? When are those going to become more important to me than growing to the potential of maybe more to be closer to the people that I kind of idolize because me, I, I feel like my work's not done on this earth until I've made something truly impactful. That's really how I feel. Like I, I have a drive, I have a drive to create, I have a drive to innovate. I want to do something that I can look back on and be, be proud of just like its holistic impact. But that's an ambitious, it's not just an ambitious goal. It's an overarching goal. That is something that, you know, and I tell myself this, that's something that is built up over years and years of work. That's the point. So I need to start working towards myself, the, the self that I need to be to achieve that while recognizing that that achievement is not something that happens independently of the growth of self. That sounded very philosophically worded, but I think you know what I mean. The growth in self happens at the same time as, you know, investing in something that you look back at one day and you look back at and you say, well, that's, that is a legacy that I left behind. Um, you know, I just, I never want to stop learning. And that was one of the major things that compelled me to get into, or I should say re-enter computer science was that with my career in marketing, the things that I would do, I just felt like I just hit a ceiling in my understanding of how to like work with certain things. Um, and I felt like technology would supplement experience for some of the things that I would do that I was doing. So rather than be someone who feels like they've, you know, been fulfilled as far as what they have to learn on the subject that their career is in, I wanted to feel like I'm never truly safe or like I'm never truly comfortable because there's always something to learn. There's always a new language. There's always a new framework. There's always a new application. I mean, I look at computer science as just being this, like this, just a well, a well that I can't see the bottom of. And I love it. Like I want to be lowered into that well in a little water pail and just live there in the well. That's what I want. So what are we going to call this episode? I'm saying maybe a little water pail boy. That could be a, that could be a thing. I don't know. I usually come up with the episode names after I listen back to the recording. So we'll see. But yeah, look, if you're really tuning in week to week, um, or I should say episode to episode, and you know, you're excited about new episodes coming out because you're a sicko. I, uh, I'm really trying to keep myself to a schedule of once per week. Uh, this is going to come out a little bit later than uh, one week from the last one, but yeah, that is what I'm shooting for. So you should be able to expect that. 
I'm having fun making these, believe it or not. Um, you know, I just got to learn to edit so that I can fire the editor because they're no good. They're no good at all. But, yep, I would say that is uh, that is good for the week. I um, This might also sound a little bit different, and that's not um, – well, I might – so I, I'm – I got to listen to it again and, and make a decision on this, but my voice, I actually noticed something the last two episodes. Um, I said, I even said in the last episode, I was like, my voice is hoarse. That was true. And I didn't really understand why it was hoarse. And then I, I looked into it and I, I, I remembered something, which is that coffee in particular can damage your voice, like singers and like, you know, people that, that are on the microphone, they uh, try to avoid coffee. I think it's like coffee, hot drinks, like overly hot drinks, um, carbonated drinks, I think. And the days that I've been recording the other two episodes, I had had coffee like right before I even said it on the first one. I was like, yeah, I just had a huge latte because I felt like it, you know, well, I, it wasn't because of the podcast. I, I think it was, it was sort of incidental where like I would have the coffee, midday coffee. And then I'd be like, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm gonna do the podcast. Yeah, we're gonna do the we're gonna do the podcast. Yeah, podcast. Uh, the podcast. It sounds good. It sounds good. I'm gonna do the podcast. Yeah, um, just uh, going Looney Tunes. I can't speak fast. I don't know what's. I don't know if it's like the the. Uh, <laughs> I can speak fast, but I can't like make a bunch of sounds fast. If that makes any sense? Um, like my brain trips over words. I get I get like my my mouth turns to mush really fast. Like I can't even, like I can't scat. I couldn't scat, for example. You know, I've been trying to get, in, get, get into the scat game and they're just not accepting of me over in the scat scene because I can't be like, you know, you know what I mean? I can't say that didn't sound good. That didn't sound like some scat music that, you know, from a world-renowned scat artist. Didn't sound right. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if there's one thing, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to really break into the scat scene because I can't, uh, I can't, I can't scat fast enough. Just can't. But yeah, it's like something about my mouth. It's something about the shape of it. Uh, I don't know if it's like a mouth thing. Like if it's a, it's a, a mouth, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, it's a bone structure thing in my face or if it's a, a meant like a, a neurological thing. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I mean, I stutter on my words. I like, I use a lot of filler words, you know, ums and ahs. And I, I try to be cognizant of it, but it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty prevalent. Well, I'd say that was an episode. So see you next time.